Uh, I've entitled my message this morning to something that the Lord has put on my heart, and that is, what is your, the cry of your heart? What is the cry of your heart? You know, the, the Word of God is, is such an amazing work. If you have your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to turn to Psalm 51 and also to uh, Old Testament book of 1 Samuel, uh, chapter 1. But one of the things I love about the Scriptures and uh, that I appreciate about the Word of God is how it provides us with a realistic picture of, of people's lives going through good times and bad. You know, the, the Word of God is not a record of perfect people living perfect lives in a perfect world. Isn't that right? That the Word of God shows the weaknesses of people and, the, and, and how frail we are, mankind, men and women and boys and girls. And, and so the scripture doesn't just paint a rosy picture of, of all of the, the uh, I, I guess, the blessings and the, the good things that, that all just, uh, that would be sold as a, as a cheap gospel of come to this and everything's just going to be full of joy and, and full of, of happiness and laughter and good times. There's also times of, of, of dark times and times of sadness and times of, of, of struggle and, and so this is an encouragement to us that this is, this is real. This is so real. And, and we see a picture of this with King David, one of the most popular kings in the history of Israel. But he was not immune to temptations. He wasn't immune to the heartache of sin. He wasn't immune to the pressures of life and, and, and living it out and his role. And, and at one point in his life, instead of, being engaged in the anointing that God had on his life, he took his eyes off of his anointing. How many of you all know that's a bad thing to do? When God gives us a calling, when he gives us an anointing, it's good to stick with that. Well, he took his eyes off of that calling, and it was a time to go to war within the nation of Israel in the spring of the year when kings would go to battle, and, and he decided to stay back. Instead of out there leading the way, he stayed back, and, and the scripture tells us that he saw a woman, and he lusted after her, and and he called for her, and he committed adultery with her. She was a married woman. He was already a married man, and she became pregnant. And then to cover up what he had done, he had her husband murdered. Okay, so this is King David. This is a man after God's own heart. Now, now in our culture, he would be put away, and everybody would just write him off as a failure for the rest of his life, that he was an amazing uh, an incredible failure. This is what you don't do. But there was something in the heart of David. He had a cry in his heart. And in Psalm 51, he verbalizes this cry in his heart. This is after he realizes the gravity, the, the seriousness of what he's done. When it hits him like a truck and he realizes, wow, this is what I've done. And listen to the cry of his heart. It's a prayer. It's a psalm. In Psalm 51, he cries out and he says in verse 1, so this is a, um, a psalm of David when he was confronted with what he had done. It says, this is his cry of his heart. He said, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. He couldn't get it out of his mind. 
And he said against you in verse 4, you, you only have I sinned and, and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in my inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. And he goes on in verse 7 to say, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones that you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. You know, on the outside, we look at a man like this, King David, and you would say, he has it all. He has, he has what people desire. He had power, he had position, and, and, and he had possessions. So these are things that we crave in, 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 in the natural, and he had all these things. He had this, this power, this position, these possessions. And on the outside, it's like he had it all, but on the inside, he was filled with a tornado of torment and thoughts and emotions for what he had done. There was this whirlwind within him, and so, so he openly expressed his cry to, the, to God in this prayer, in this psalm. He felt dirty. He felt sinful. He felt, he felt disgusting. And so he cries out. He says, wash me. God, cleanse me. Make me whiter than snow. He's like, forgive me. Please forgive me. Have mercy on me. This is the cry of this man's heart. Has anybody here ever really blown it big time? Four of us? So, but you just wish you could just turn back the clock a few hours, right? Or a few days. And it's just sitting in there, and, and he's just crying out, God, have mercy on me. Don't leave me. He was afraid that God might ditch him and say, you're a failure. And he's saying, don't, don't leave me. Don't abandon me. I, I need your presence, and I need your, your Holy Spirit within me. Please. And so there's this desperate cry of remorse and, and repentance within his heart. There were cries of, of desperation to, for God to heal his conscience. This were the cries of his heart. So what are the cries of our hearts this morning? What are the cries of our hearts, man? Are they similar to David's? Where we've been plagued with some, with some sins, with some mistakes, with some regrets, with some remorse? with this shame, with this guilt. Or they, maybe they're completely different. Maybe the cries of our heart are, are, are much different in here. Every one of us has a different cry of our heart. Maybe your heart's crying out for affection. Maybe it's crying out for help. Maybe it's crying out for answers. Maybe it's crying out for direction or restoration. Maybe it's, it's re within a relationship. Maybe it's, it's clarity. Maybe you're, you're crying out for stability. Maybe you're crying out for a greater revelation of God. You see, the truth of the matter is each one of us have a cry in our heart. We're longing for things. And friends, I would suggest that our deepest longings are either self-centered, they're for ourselves, or they're for other people. 
or they're, they're, they're for the glory of God himself. Now, if we notice in this passage that David was crying out to God, there was something deeper in his heart than to simply to go to bed guilt-free. Because he said, Lord, change me, cleanse me, don't leave me. But then he follows us up with, then I will teach transgressors your ways and, and sinners shall be converted to you. In other words, he's thinking about other people. He's thinking about the effect that this is going to have on those around him. And he goes on in the following verses to say, my mouth is going to proclaim your goodness and praises will not leave my lips. Please, Lord. So the, the cry of his heart, he, and he says, I present to you a, a broken and a contrite spirit. These are in the verses following. He says, I'm, I'm crushed. In other words, there was no pride in this man's heart at this point. You see, he emptied himself. The cry of his heart was not only for his, his own benefit, but for the benefit of those around him. And eventually, and ultimately, that God would receive the glory. You see, the very reason that David was in this inner turmoil is because he had opportunity because of his position and his power. He was self-centered. He was seeking his own ways. And he said, I want that. And he got it because of, of a place that God had actually put him. So he used something that God had, had given him for, for personal gain. He was very arrogant and self-centered. He wasn't thinking about other people. The, the Lord spoke to Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah 57. At verse 15 says, For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in a high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. So there's, there's something about this, this crying out to God that is, is humbling in nature. And the Lord is saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to relate to this type of a person who cries out to me with this, with this brokenness. Now, some really struggle with crying out to God. Some don't know how. Some, some refuse to. Some would, would say, you know what, I don't even need to acknowledge that I have any heart's cries. We say, I got everything together. There's, there's no needs in my life. And, and friends, there's some that would, would say that out of, out of arrogance, or I would actually say out of ignorance. And, and the Word of God says that we are to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He, and he will lift us up. Does he not say that? That's what he says. So when we look around, we see the cry of people's hearts expressed in many different ways in our culture and our society. We live in a, in a, in a generation that, in uh, uh, our culture, is very this, this phrase, the freedom of expression, is very popular. We, we, we read it on the news. We hear it all the time. Freedom of expression. Everybody gets to... To, to come out of the closet and just say whatever you want to say. I mean, this is, we, we can't watch the news without seeing this, this freedom of expression, the communicating of thoughts and the communicating of ideas and, and, and beliefs about self and beliefs about culture and beliefs about politics. And, and so there's this, there's this huge drive right now in our world to just express what's on the inside. And, and we communicate what's on the inside in many different ways, do we not? Are there many ways to communicate? We can communicate with the words we say. And the words we say are a reflection of our hearts and what's in them. We communicate by our attitudes. We communicate by what we put into our bodies, and we communicate by what we put on our bodies. We communicate by, by our habits. 
we communicate a message by our schedules, by our, our behaviors, by our spending habits, by our, by our ambitions. We're sending messages whether we realize it or not. Agreed? That, that we're, we're communicating things. We're expressing. And, and friends, there's a battle going on for the answers to the cries of our hearts. Everyone around us has longings in their hearts. Some are longing for affection. Some are longing for affirmation. They just want to know they have worth, that they have value, that they matter, that they're making a difference. There's some that have a, a cry in their heart for, for healing and they're, they're going through things physically or medically and, and just a cry in their heart. We're surrounded, friends. This is, this is everywhere we look. The people that we rub shoulders with, and maybe you've seen one of those little cartoon um, illustrations where you see everybody and the thoughts that they're thinking and the things that are on their mind as we're rubbing shoulders and we think that everybody's normal and everybody's just got a smooth life except for me, except for us. But we see the concerns on people's minds and friends, there's, there's cries in so many different people's hearts for answers and, and direction and, and unfortunately, this is where many are led astray as they look to counterfeit solutions to comfort themselves and to silence those cries. How do we silence those cries? For well, friends, many, they look to a bottle. They look to a bottle of booze and they say, I get to silence those cries in me. Others will, will look to the refrigerator and they say, this will just bring me comfort. I need this. I need that. I need this. Others will look to electronics or to, to video games or to entertainment or, or to activities or, or fantasizing. Some look to relationships to, to satisfy an inner longing, a cry in their hearts. And others look to possessions. They look to stuff to bring comfort to those cries in their hearts. You see, there's all kinds of counterfeit affections that, that this world has that we can, that we can reach out to and, and, and grab a hold of and, and think, this is going to satisfy that cry in my heart. We see this is nothing new. When we look into the, to the pages of Scripture, the Bible is packed full of examples of people looking to different forms of idolatry to, to satisfy the cries of their hearts. We see this all throughout the Word of God. And, and what was the result when we look at people who were looking to different, different solutions other than God himself? We see story after story of heartache. We see story after story of frustration and emptiness. And, and voids in people's lives and, and sickness and even death. Countless examples. And every one of us know people here who have looked to counterfeit affections to satisfy the cries of their hearts and it's always led to heartache or destruction. We know that. We know that. Families are torn apart. We see this all throughout scriptures, but we also see breakthroughs come to people in the word of God who cried out to God. I think of a man named Bartimaeus. His life was infused with vitality. He was a blind man, and he heard that Jesus was coming through the area. And so he cried out. He says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He couldn't see. He was blind, and everybody said, be quiet, you're making a scene. And he cried out all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus had mercy on him. He was willing to cry out. He could see from that day forward. We read of other examples. We read in Mark chapter 9 of a man who had a, a son who was traumatized by demonic activity. 
And, and he comes and he, and he cries out to the Lord and says, Lord, if you could do anything, have compassion on us and help us. It's difficult when you have a son or a daughter who's, who's going through things and they're stuck. Amen? And they're in a situation, and this is where he was. And, and Jesus looked at this man and said, If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. There was this cry in his heart. We read of another, uh, another instance in Matthew chapter 15 of a woman from, uh, uh, of Canaan came from that region and she cried out saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. There was something gripping this loved one that wouldn't let go. And in the natural, she couldn't do anything about it. And so she cries out on the behalf of someone else. There's nothing that pulls on the heartstrings like a family member. Amen? And, we, and, and this is where she was. And she cried out and she saw, she saw a deliverance take place. We look in the Old Testament, Hezekiah, the king of Israel, and, 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 and he came down with this, with this sickness and, and Isaiah the prophet came to him and he said, this sickness is unto death. And what did, what did Hezekiah do? He dropped to his knees and he cried out to God, God have mercy on me. And he did. God said, Isaiah, go back and tell him he's got 15 more years. He got an extension. I think of, of, of Joshua. He's leading the people of Israel into the promised land, and they're in battle, and, and they're winning the battle, but it's getting towards evening, and the sun is beginning to set. And he could see that, there, that if the sun sets, the battle's going to stop. And he cries out in prayer, this bold prayer, sun, stand still. And the sun actually stayed in the sky. It did not set. And victory came. How's that for an audacious prayer? Son, stand still for the glory of God. We look at the people of Israel, the children of Israel. They were in Exodus chapter 2. They were groaning. They were in Egypt. They were in this bondage. And it says they cried out. And their cry came up to God because of the bondage. And God responded to the cries of the people in bondage. And he delivered them. He delivered them. How many of y'all have ever cried out to God and he responded undeniably? Just a quick show of hands. How many of you ever cried out to God and it seemed like he didn't respond? Yep. It's like, where are you? But friends, what if we looked at the cries of our heart as an invitation to draw closer to God? Every cry of our heart, what if we could run it through a filter that says, this is an invitation to draw closer to you, Lord. You see, all throughout Scripture, we see God relentlessly pursuing relationship with mankind. He made us to, to have a big family. He wanted tons of sons and daughters. And he wanted us to be holy, set apart for him, and blameless, guilt-free, right? That's what the Word of God says. And he wants us to walk in, in our inheritance. That's his plan, Ephesians 1.4. Before the foundations of the world, he saw each one of us. His plan hasn't changed. And so he's desiring this. We see this all throughout Scripture. We, clearly, we see this in the history of Israel. For centuries, God sent prophets to tell the people, to warn them, to come back to me. God delivered the children of Israel. They get into the promised land. 
but they started worshiping other idols. There were distractions, and they took their eyes off of God. And, and judgment and, and, and consequences were on the horizon. And so God, in his mercy, sent these prophets. God would speak to a person, and he would speak to the congregation. He would speak to the nation and saying, judgment is coming. Turn back to the Lord. He is faithful to you. So when we hear the word prophets in the Old Testament, for the most part, it was God speaking to people as a warning, warning, warning. Come back to me. You have life. You can have vitality. I want to extend my mercy to you. And that's an act of love, is it not? That's an act of love to give warning after warning after warning. God is, is patient. Well, one of these prophets, his name was Samuel. Samuel was the catalyst that God used to change an entire nation. And it started when he was very young, when he was just a, a young boy. In 1 Samuel chapter 3, records God revealing to him at a very young age that a major transition was coming to the nation. But what he didn't know at that time was this transition, this, this, this sweeping reformation was going to come through him. He didn't understand it at the time, but as Samuel grew and he allowed God to work uh, through him and to speak through him, and it, it, God started manifesting his goodness through this man, and, and there was something supernatural about his words that came out of his mouth, and it started to grab the attention of people. That's a work of, the, of God when when you proclaim the word of God and people respond, that's the Holy Spirit's at work. And the people started gravitating towards this man and, 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 and he got their attention. And at this point in Israel's history, the Philistines were a neighboring nation and they would kept coming in and creating havoc on God's people. And any time you read of the Philistines in the Old Testament, you can almost equate that with opposition, a form of opposition to God's plans or to God's people. Okay, so Philistine, equate that with opposition to what God wanted to do. And friends, there's still forms of Philistines attacking our lives. They want to create havoc in our lives. And this is what was going on here in 1 Samuel. In chapter 7, it says in verse 3 that Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, if you return to the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtoreth, that's a form of idol worship, from among you. He said, put it away and prepare your hearts for the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. So the people of, of Israel, they longed for freedom from these Philistines, but they cried out to idols for what only God could provide. And Samuel said, you've got to get rid of that junk. You've got you you to get rid of it. Put it away. And it says in verse 4, So the children of Israel, they put away the Baals and the Ashtoreths, and they served the Lord only. And Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. And so they gathered together at Mizpah, and they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. So you might think, well, what's that? Pouring out water before the Lord. It was symbolic of taking something and pouring it out before the Lord. It was, like, it was symbolic of we're going to pour our soul out to you, God. That's what it was. It was a sign of, of we're giving you, we're being very vulnerable before you. We're pouring ourselves out. And it says, and they fasted that day and said there, we have sinned against the Lord. In verse 8, it goes on to say, so that the children of Israel said to Samuel, do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. In verse 9, they go out, it goes on to say, then Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel and the Lord answered him. In verse 13, 
So the Philistines were subdued, and they did not come any more into the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. Then the Philistines, which, or then the cities which the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel from Ekron to Gath, and Israel recovered its territory from the hands of the Philistines. This is an amazing turn of events. This entire nation repented of their ways. They repented of their ways. They, they put away their idols. This entire nation fasted and humbled themselves before God. They, 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 they were repenting. They recovered what the enemy took from them. There was this restoration. The, the nation went from victim to victor. They went into victory. They stepped into victory. Hope was ignited into this land. Because of this one event, and, and what kick-started all of this? It was, it was a cry in the hearts of the people for freedom. And it was there, there was a cry in the heart of Samuel for revival. You see, friends, from his heart, there was a deep-seated cry. There was a cry for the power of God to be revealed in that nation. There was, there was a cry in his heart for the scales of deception to fall off of the people that had been deceived and that had been looking to other things to satisfy their cries. There was a cry in his heart for the reputation of the living God to be, to be exhibited in its fullness and to be fully on display. There was this cry in his heart for the image of God to be represented in that nation. And see, friends, my prayer is that we would, that we would be crying out as well in the same manner, that our hearts would say, that there would be a revival of the ways of God in our land, that there would be a way, that there would be a revival, that there would be a restoration of what the enemy has taken, that we would put away idolatry, that we would put away things that we are, are looking for to answer the cries of our hearts. I believe that's the heart of God, that we would have that type of a heart that says, God, we need to, to see you in full demonstration, in power and authority. Friends, we, we serve a resurrected Savior. Amen? And He is alive. And He is powerful. And, and He restores. He brings hope. We have a message. We have a message. Now Samuel was one of the most influential prophets of God in Israel's history. But this man with this cry in his heart for revival in his land was a result of someone else crying out to the Lord. And that someone else was his mama, his mother. His mother's name was Hannah. You see, before Samuel was born, Hannah and her husband were trying to conceive, but she couldn't get pregnant. And repeatedly, they, she cried out to the Lord, God, I want a son. I want a son. There, she was barren. There was, there was an emptiness. And, and not only did she have a longing in her heart, but she was being teased about the cry of her heart. And this went on for years. There was somebody that was speaking against the cry of her heart. Friends, we have an adversary who is trying to come up against us in the cries of our hearts. There is a real enemy who says, your cry is not valid. That the reason that God is not answering your cry is because you got too much sin in your life. You don't have enough faith that God is too busy, that you've, you've committed too many sins, and that's why God is not answering your cry. That your cry doesn't really matter. That God is too occupied with other things. And you know what those things are called? Those, things, those statements, those thoughts are called lies. 
Lies, 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 lies. Every cry of our heart matters to God. It all matters to God. But there's a voice that would say, your cry doesn't matter. It's too insignificant. Or you've messed up too many times. Why should God show mercy on you after all the other times he's already done this? You see, truth be told, many people don't understand this crying out to God. Hannah's husband was one of them. Okay, so Hannah's husband comes along. His name was Elkanah. It says in verse 8 of of 1 Samuel chapter 1, and her husband said, Hannah, why do you weep? This is what the husband saying to the wife after all these years of crying out for a baby. Why do, you, why do you not eat? Why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? Ooh, doggy. How, does, how would that one go over in marriage counseling, right? I bet when he said that, she wasn't near a frying pan. Like, honey, you got me what more do you want, right? I mean, this is what he's saying. So he didn't, he didn't get it. And she wasn't satisfied with just quitting and saying, you know, yeah, that's kind of futile to be crying out to God. She even took her longing in her heart to the place of worship. The Word of God says that she came in verse 10 of 1 Samuel chapter 1, that she was in bitterness of soul. She comes to the place of worship and she prayed to the Lord and she wept in anguish. So she's literally crying out to God. Like, like, what's wrong with this woman? And that's what it appeared. Eli, the priest of that place of worship, he's looking at her like, she's drunk. He literally thought she was drunk. Like, what's, what's going on with this woman? He could see her lips moving, and she's, she's kind of acting a little bizarre. And, and he's like, she's drunk. But he, he was so out of touch with the things of God, he didn't even realize she was in prayer. He, he wasn't tuned in. In other words, he wasn't tuned into what the Holy Spirit was doing. And friends, this is the case in many places of worship yet today. There's many good-hearted people that are filling churches every day, but it's religion, it's following the routine. I love that message that Kay shared last week about, about relationship and not religion and, and how relationship drives us. But there's many, there's many places of worship where they're used to religious routine and spiritual activity is dead. It's weird. It's rejected. Like Eli's like, no, this is weird. This, she's, she's drunk. She's not in her right mind. She's, she's kind of out of it. But Hannah didn't let that stop her. Hannah desperately cried out to the Lord. Listen to the cry of her heart in 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 11. This is her cry. She says, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. That's a a terminology that was describing a Nazarite vow. It was a vow that certain people would take, and they're saying, I'm going to be consecrated to the Lord. And so she's saying, Lord, if you you answer the cry of my heart, I'm going to take what you give me, and I'm going to totally dedicate it back to you, completely to you. And friends, this appears to be what God was waiting for from Hannah. She was saying, God, I I want to... I want you to respond to my cries, but I'm going to give it back to you for your glory and for whatever you seem fit. And friends, this is the cry 
that God is waiting to hear from his people yet in our generation. Yes. God, there's a cry in my heart. But I want to align it with yours, that your name can be proclaimed throughout this generation, throughout this region. You see, friends, there's a cry in the heart of so many people, and yet so often the cry is, is self-centered. It's self-preservation. It, 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 it's, it's, about, it's about self. And the thought of seeing the cries of our hearts as something that would bring glory to God is sometimes not even considered. And I would challenge us this morning to take those cries of our hearts and say, God, how can you be glorified through this inner longing within me? What if we recognized every cry of our heart as an invitation to the one who can satisfy every cry? I mean, what is it that, what if we said, God, what is it that you're trying to show me through this inner cry? God, what are you trying to, are you trying to show me how you feel? How your heart has emotion? You know, some of our emotions are reflections of the emotions of God. God is, has emotions. So when we have this, this yearning within us for something so desperately, that's an amazing opportunity to say, God, is this how you feel when, and then fill in the blank. See, those are opportunities that we can align our, our hearts with the heart of God's and our inner cries come into perfect alignment with his. God always hears that cry when we say, God, I want my heart to be aligned with yours. He went, and that's the beauty of, of serving Jesus who came in the flesh. He knows that rejection and betrayal and misunderstanding and abandonment and, and, and betrayal and a whole nine yards. So he can so relate to us. What an amazing plan that God would have that he would, he would, send, he would send himself, he, that Jesus would come and, and we can have someone that we can relate to. And the word of God says that when, when Hannah went to that place of worship, she received a word from the Lord that she would give birth that she would give birth. And you know what her response was? It wasn't, well, I'll believe it when I see it. No, it said that she began to worship. She began to worship. She left that place pregnant with a promise, and that was enough for her to worship God. You see, she wasn't pregnant with a child yet, but she was pregnant with a word from the Lord, and that was sufficient for her. And she took that home, and she said, my life is different. I've heard from the Lord. He's heard my cry. And he knows that my heart is in alignment with his. And I'm going to take this inner cry and I'm going to use it for his glory. And friends, an entire nation was reached because of that inner cry of one hungry heart. Imagine what God can do with a whole church full of people that says, God, align my heart with yours so that every inner cry can be a reflection, that you can teach me about what you're seeing. They open my eyes to your perspective of my inner cry. That's I believe, is so much It's the heart of God. What if every follower of Christ, and, and they, took, they took their inner cries and just kept bringing them back and running through that filter, God, what are you showing me? I want to align my heart 
with yours. So I would challenge you this morning, from this day forward, to look at the cries of your heart as an invitation from God to draw closer to him. He wants what's best for us so desperately. So what is the cry of your heart this morning? I invite you to stand with me, please. As I was thinking this through and preparing, I just sensed that the Lord was saying, if there's a cry of your heart, um, I want to invite you to the altar. And I realize that we go through seasons where sometimes we cry out in utter dis, uh, desperation. And there's, that, there's events and there's activities where we cry out and we say, God, I, I need you like never before. There's nothing magical about the altar, but it is symbolic. It's a, it's a way of humbling ourselves just like Hannah did. And she said, you know, I don't care what anybody thinks. I'm desperate. And, and so I just, if anybody wants to come to the altar, you could just step out of your seat and just come forward. And I'm not, we're not going to have you announce to everybody what the cry of your heart is. But if there's a cry of your heart, I just sense that the Lord is saying, give people an opportunity, that there's some deep-seated cries in people's hearts. And so anybody at all, if you just want to make your way forward, uh, again, I'm not going to prolong this, but don't let the enemy say, oh, it's not that big of a deal, and don't people are going to wonder. You know what? Those are all just tactics of the enemy to say, you know, just just suck it up and, and, and deal with that cry of your heart a little differently. So I just want to invite everybody here to just put your hand on your heart. Just put your hand on your heart. Put your hand on your heart. Father, we, we come before you, Lord, with humility. And we recognize there's cries in our hearts, Lord. There's cries in the hearts of, of everybody in this room, whether they're minor or major. And Lord, we ask that these cries of our hearts that may be self-serving and we just want direction for ourselves or we just want to know what the best decision to make is for ourselves, that we would extend that, Lord, and, and ask, Lord, extend the, the cry of my heart for, towards other people. And Lord, we recognize that, that whether it's a personal thing or for others, it's important to you. It's a cry Lord, that oftentimes you put there out of your mercy and your grace. And so, Lord, we ask that these cries in our hearts will ultimately bring glory to you. Lord, that we would walk out of here worshiping like Hannah because we've received a word from you that you have heard the cries of our hearts and that you will bring forth something from within us that will turn the hearts of those in our generation to you, to Jesus, the risen Savior. So, Father, we ask that you would help us to understand that you have a purpose for the cries of our hearts. Align our hearts with yours. Lord, you see the cries of every heart in this room. Lord, the list is endless. 
Because the cries of our heart today will be different than the cries of our heart tomorrow. But Lord, we're going to worship you. We're going to praise you. And people are going to ask us, how can we have a, a song in our heart when there's, when there's also cries in our heart? And we're going to be able to proclaim your goodness that, that you are the living God, that you are the one who brings strength and hope and joy and peace and patience and goodness and gentleness and self-control and faithfulness. And we can rely on you. You are an anchor that is outside of our circumstances. So we thank you. We thank you for this provision. May we walk in this truth and this reality and this revelation of, of this ongoing invitation every day. Oh, Lord, you see right into the, every thought that ever goes through our minds. Lord, give us the, the ability to recognize the tactics of the enemy that would try to discourage us or to look to something else for comfort when we find our perfect comfort, our perfect peace, and our perfect security an intimate relationship with you. Increase that hunger. Increase that desire. Increase that cry. We ask in Jesus' name.